This is Learning Innovation, the teaching and learning podcast, also known as LittlePod. We are created by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation, located in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. In the spirit of equity, diversity and inclusion, and Nitsitapi Simstan, or real thinking, we play host to a spectrum of guests from the teaching and learning community. As we highlight and explore innovation in education, we hope to kindle warm conversations, expand perspectives, and foster lasting partnerships today, tomorrow, and beyond. The future of learning starts now. Okay, and welcome to episode number 41 of The Little Pod. Today we're talking about chat GPT and how AI tech is transforming how we teach and assess academic writing. Our guests today are Dr. Lindy Ledahowski, COO at Wise Prep, a Vancouver-based edtech company that provides study resources for college and university level courses. We also have Dr. Alex Koros, Professor of Educational Technology and Media at the Faculty of Education at the University of Regina, which I'm very excited about because I'm a U of R alumni and former employee of the U of R. Alex is also the director for the U of R Center for Teaching and Learning. Finally, we have Tatiana Kloster, a learning experience designer at Lethbridge College who leads faculty development and academic student support teams. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you as well. It's really fantastic to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I am too. Thanks for inviting me. So I'm curious how AI tech impacts each of you in your current roles. So maybe, Lindy, we'll start with you. How much do you interact with AI text generators like ChatGPT? And how has this impacted your work? a really great question and it's kind of interesting because um so currently i am chief operating officer at wise prep which is an ed tech company um, and previously i had co-founded and led an academic writing software company called essay jack and prior to that i was just a straight old-fashioned tenure track english professor and so this concept of academic writing is kind of been my bread and butter for the last couple of decades um, with respect to Wise Prep and our work with, um, so Wise Prep acquired SAJAC. SAJAC has kind of morphed through the past couple of years being part of the Wise Prep family into Wise Writer, again, focusing on academic writing, but on academic writing and the structure of academic writing, because we always thought, well, you know, text generators and AI is never going to get the content right. So what tech can do really well in intervening into the academic writing space is help with structure. So now all of that has changed with ChatGPT and then some of the other AI text generators, which are getting better and better, that now the education technology is also changing. So there's that large part um, as we go through product design and iteration in developing our own software and how it integrates with ChatGPT and tools like it. And then, of course, as COO, I also oversee marketing and operations. And so there's this whole other kind of content generation side where people are tempted all the time to generate blogs and more content using chat GPT. And so I end up um, having a bit of a disciplinary role to, to limit, you know, to be excited by the, what the technology can do, but also to put it in its place 
um, on that corporate side. So that's, as I say, there's the academic writing and software development, and then there's the practical business use case when we're talking about SEO and other content development for use online. That sounds very exciting, and it must be uh, quite a dynamic time to be in such a role. Yeah, it moves fast, let me tell you. And Tatiana, uh, what about in your role in educational development and as a student support lead? Yeah, it's a great question, Donna. I've actually just used ChatGPT before coming onto this podcast. I met with a colleague to design a how to UDL your assignments workshop for faculty. And we crafted a prompt together. We asked the tool to create a tentative facilitation plan. And I find that it works extremely well for those initial ideation and brainstorming stages. Um, we also started ha having conversations um, with my teams about how we can support faculty and students when it comes to developing artificial intelligence literacy. So we know it's a tool, but how do we use it ethically? And how do we use it to help us develop our critical thinking skills? So it is all new and exciting. And as Lindy said, things are changing overnight, right? So you wake up and my LinkedIn feed is all about new AI tools. And, you know, sometimes there's that fear of missing out, like, oh, are we still, are we still keeping up with the change? Um, but it feels like we're we're kind of on the brink of this massive transformation. Um, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, so it's a lot of leading and learning and teaching all at the same time. Absolutely. We tell faculty and students that we're not the experts, that we're here learning alongside with them. And so, Alex, um, what about for you at the University of Regina? How has AI tech like, like ChatGPT impacted your work? Well, it's disrupt. It's certainly disruptive. Um, we're seeing. I've never seen uh, so much interest in any tool, and, and I've been there, you know, twenty three years. Maybe the internet, perhaps. Uh, that was probably the only one that was uh, precedent before this. Um, I've, I've given since November. I've given. I just counted this morning forty three workshops or, or presentations, keynotes included, um, and and these you know range from just using it in the classroom to student personalized learning. Uh, I've, sp I've spoken to uh, quite a few university academic councils. So at, yeah, at the high level, they're wondering what's going to happen uh, in this realm. Uh, you know, do, what do we do differently? How do we deal with academic integrity? Um, you know, Turnitin.com just uh, released their tool two days ago. And they're, they're suggesting that it's 1% verifiability rates, like that they'll only have 1% false positives, which is, um, from my perspective, sort of way out, way out of the um, spectrum when you look at you know, uh, OpenAI reporting 26% false, outcomes, false positive. So um, I'm a little skeptical and I'm wondering, and I, I really think that we're not going to find a solution from a, you know, a, a detection standpoint anytime soon or if ever. Um, because you know, for, from that point, we've got AI being written, and we have already contract uh, paraphrasers that are, you know, in the realm. We have, you know, services like Quillbot that'll just paraphrase the stuff for you. We'll never get out of this unless we really start to reform assessment. And so I think that's the biggest part for me is rethinking the institution, rethinking assignments, rethinking how we can do work with these tools together. That's really interesting to hear. And we are, we're going to get more, uh, talk about that more in a bit. Um, 
I want to throw this question out for all of you. Um, what about the teaching and learning community as a whole? What kind of waves are AI text generators creating in our academic ecosystems? And actually, maybe that goes exactly back to what you were mentioning, Alex. I can certainly start with that one. Um, so, so I think you know there, there's a lot of ways of um, you know taking this. There's been a number of professors I've spoken to that have said, like there was one yesterday, uh, you know, he sent me a, a bit of uh, a paper that he received. He's never seen anything like this um, you know, since he started. Um, very different formats, very eloquent writing. I mean, formulaic, but they're all eloquent. And so you wonder what, you know, where that's, this has come from. And he just mentioned to me, this is the last long form essay assignment I'll ever have in my classes. I'll just do things differently. He's not sure what he'll do, but he won't do that one <laughs> anymore. And so it's, it's really making people think uh, differently about you know, what to assign, how do we assess student work, how do we look more at process-oriented um, uh, you know, uh, assessments, um, how do we rethink what we do in the classroom, you know, how do we measure assessment, um, or how do we measure you know, student work or student work, um, quality or competency. So I think it's an exciting conversation that we're having. Like um, any technology that um, gets you to rethink teaching practices that have been established over generations, I think that's not necessarily all bad. Um, so I think you know, this, this could be a start of something really wonderful, um, but it also is quite scary in many ways as well, especially when you look from an economic standpoint, the uncertainty there, um, you know, jobs and the economy uh, in particular, and just a lot of uncertainty uh, in terms of the cybersecurity, privacy, and, and many of the other areas as well. So. Um, teaching and learning, I think, are all over the place on this. Um, there's, there's not a part of the establishment that will be left unturned. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in here too because I, I agree with sort of everything that Alec has said, and then there's a few things to kind of um, flag here, and we're all kind of getting at this, which is so a couple of things. So at the beginning, Tatiana was saying, you know, working with educators um, to develop ways to say use ChatGPT intelligently to help foster critical thinking. And you know, then Alec was saying, oh, okay, so in the teaching and learning community, what we're looking at is, okay, how do we change our assessments so that again, we're focusing on process. And both of those insights are getting to what I think everybody in the teaching and learning community would agree with, which is um, academic writing was always seen as the end point that provided an opportunity for summative analysis and grading of a whole variety of skills. And those skills were developed along the way. So skills of being able to synthesize and organize and structure and build arguments and develop um, a, a logically uh, progressing sense of evaluating different kinds of textual evidence um, in, in, in discipline-specific ways. And now what we're finding is that with these text generating AI tools, we can get to that end part of the story, the kind of summative assessment piece, skipping over a whole bunch of the development of those skills. So we kind of need to go backwards and say, okay, well, if we're not, if that academic essay or that formal piece of writing is no longer the thing that we need to assess all of those other skills that we're looking for, which are the demonstrated ability to think critically when faced with a, a variety of whether it's readings or a particular context. So what does that look like? What does that assessment look like? And then, so that there's that kind of bucket of questions. Um, and then the other piece that I wanted to pick up on is it's all happening so fast. And so what we are asking of educators is quite a Herculean 
task. You know, between December and now, it's only April, already things have changed so radically in the kind of chat GPT landscape, you know, among all of the other kinds of, of tools. And instructors are like, you set your syllabus in September and we're not even at the end of an academic year. And this is quite a sea change. And so Alex said earlier, like this is maybe like the advent of the internet. And, and I, um, prior to being a professor, I had been a high school English teacher and my time starting to teach high school was really when Google was taking off as like, you know, the big thing. And so I, as a young new teacher, was very comfortable with the ways in which you could use a Google search um, in an English classroom. But I saw many of my other um, teacher colleagues who were less familiar suddenly struggling because they had taught in a way that was about content delivery. So this is the theme of Hamlet. If somebody can go to Google and Google can tell them the theme of Hamlet, what is it that they are doing? And so I naturally knew how, okay, well, we're using these sources we find online and we're getting into this debate. And so similarly with chat GPT, I feel that it's the same sort of thing. So that if, if you thought, oh, okay, well, the academic essay was the way that I would evaluate your ability to write. And if you're a smart and savvy user of some of these text generative AI tools, you can kind of get to an academic essay that's maybe gonna get you a B without having developed all of those skills. And so it can be quite frightening for instructors to then suddenly have to go, okay, well, how do I now um, have the fun to start to create the assignments, the tools, the ways that are really gonna get um, at what we're looking for, which is critical thinking. So as I say, it's super exciting and, and I'm excited to be um, in this moment in time, in all honesty, I think I'm, I'm so happy that I'm not at the point where I'm retiring and being like, all right, I'm done. This, this change is going to wash over the world and I don't have to be part of it. I'm happy that I am fully engaged in what this change is, is doing to how we think about critical thinking and academic writing. But I think the end story is far from written at this point in time. I can build on some of those points. Um... So what does it mean to be an educator in 21st century? What are some of the key competencies? And Linda, you kind of touched on them a bit. And I think that the skill of designing learning and designing authentic assessments for real audiences that allow for multiple means of representing knowledge, but also, Alec, as you said, we want to emphasize the process. How did the student get to that final deliverable? Um, we see students one-on-one -on -one who are working through academic essays, and there is sometimes sometimes a tendency to prioritize that final deliverable. So, and there there isn't a lot of space left for reflecting on how you're growing and developing as a writer. It it just the energy goes into creating that that academic paper, right? Um, it is exciting. It is exciting to be a part of that change for sure, uh, but. I also want to recognize that faculty burnout is a real issue. And as you said, Lindy, we are asking them um, to essentially develop a new skill set. So what supports and resources and policies can institutions develop to be a part of that change and not work against the grain? It really, really sounds like, like um, being pioneers. You all are blazing being, the trails. Yeah, bla yeah exactly. Blazing the trails. 
and, and also like making the trail as you go you know that's that's part of it too is it's you're just kind of and the landscape is constantly changing it's not like there's a stable platform and you're like oh, okay i'm just gonna weed whack this way it's like i'm gonna weed whack here and oh my gosh now it's a river and so now i'm gonna forge the river and now i'm gonna jump and learn to swim and fly all at the same time so it's it is quite a task so you've all talked a little bit about um you know, some of the adaptations that are going to be needed. But um, can you talk more about sort of how how we will need to adapt teaching and assessment methods um, for academic writing? And, and maybe even does that point back to course outcomes? Yeah, and I, I can I can jump in here um, and then and then let my esteemed colleagues have the floor as well. But, you know, we've, we've all kind of touched on this one um, already. So I'll just sort of repeat some of it, which is, you know, those old school writing assignments, um, it's now pretty much time to sunset them. I think it is still um, unclear in its totality what will replace um, some of those. However, and, and Tatiana got it at this at the, with her very opening remarks, sort of saying that chat GPT can get you far with that initial, some of the initial planning, some of the initial thinking. So one thing that I think will be an adaptation that we'll see more and more is how do we include ChatGPT um, intelligently into assignment design as part of the pre-writing, as part of the brainstorming, as part of the outlining, you know, those kinds of initial um, first forays into that analysis and critical thinking. Um, and again, this is where I think uh, instructors can add the most value. So instructors are the people who are kind of, as we say, you know, blazing the trail, leading the path, but they're also doing that so that they can lead students along this path. And so to a certain extent, there is a responsibility within the educational community to help students navigate the best use of these tools um, so that they can become savvy users. So that like Tatiana was like, hey, I just used ChatGPT at the beginning. My colleague and I, you know, we, this is what, how we used it. And so we want our students to be able to say, oh, hey, I had this assignment. This is how I use ChatGPT. And it got me 50% of the way there or got me over my initial writer's block. And it gave, you know, so I think it's the how to use it for those initial steps um, is really important. And then again, supporting faculty so that they can perform that really important work of modeling intelligent use of the tools along the way, but also ethical use of the tools along the way, asking those fundamental questions about, you know, how are the models being trained? Where are the gaps? What are the limits? What falls into the edge case or the liminal space when you are training tech? And then what are the ethical implications for its use by an end user when there are blind spots in the development and the training? So that's again, where faculty ideally are in a position to be the facilitators leading students through both the best use of these tools, but also through interrogating the, the, the very real problems. And I mean, Alec talked about this a little bit at the beginning, like the, these tools are exciting, but they're not without their um, very significant uh, ethical conundrums. So I wanted to maybe go back to the, you know, how, how do we do this in academic writing? I've been teaching um, uh, both iterative and incremental prompting in some of the, uh, in what I've been doing in terms of teaching academic writing. So you could go in and say, you know, write me an outline of, on the surveillance in Hamlet, 
you know, we'll go back to Hamlet, the example of Hamlet as we spoke about earlier. Um, and that'll give you, you know, a rough formulaic outline in ChatGPT and a little bit better in ChatGPT4. But if you start by prompting something like, tell me about the works of Foucault, and then tell me about uh, Foucault's work on surveillance, and then slowly get to that prompt around Hamlet and uh, you know, surveillance, you're going to have a very much more specific and much more nuanced and uh, just a better work in general. So you're kind of teaching the uh, you know, chatbot to, um, to, to learn certain areas or certain disciplines or to recognize those. And as you, as you, you, if you prompt with the same prompt that you initially would have prompted in you know, example one, you'll get a much better uh, product. So doing that sort of thing, you have to you have to know um, your subject area. You have to know what's out there, even though if you don't know all the specifics. You have to you have to be able to ask the right questions. And I think prompting is a really important skill that we'll have to develop. Um, it, it's not a total replacement, and you know there are many different examples of what uh, English teachers or you know teachers of writing are doing. Uh, you know, having, for instance, uh, ChatGPT generate. Um, you know, academic essays and for students to analyze them and spend time with that. There's, there's also some really great opportunity outside of the writing um, realm is for, is for reclaiming some time. Like I've never written so many emails in my life with, you know, in the last little while that are really so well articulate and, and you know, things that I send to the campus community, workshop descriptions, like these are all, you know, augmented these days. And I've saved like hours per day doing some of the stuff that it was the administrative pieces of my work, you know, the professoriate or of a director's position. So I, I do think that there's an opportunity to reclaim some of that time and use it to spend with our students because that's that's the time that is always left with, you know, it's like that's the time that sacrifices our time when the one of the students or uh, with groups and so on because we have to put up with a lot of the stuff. Uh, the, the administrative, you know, edgy trivia or administrative um, thing that uh, responsibilities that we have that are important, but a lot of this stuff can be augmented, and I think that's where some of the um, the benefits is. We're not talking about that necessarily, but I think it's a really important uh, one to consider. I also want to confess that I've never been more prolific with my emails and so articulate. <laughs> so, <laughs> just wanted to put it out there. Um, I want to build on some of the points that you two brought up. And I think that transparency about what these tools are and what they can and cannot do is going to be key. So both educators and our learners will have to have a comprehensive understanding of that. Um, I do think that it's it's a paradigm shift we're experiencing now, especially when it comes to assessments and assessment design. I'm noticing several camps emerge in the faculty world. So there is one camp that's like, yes, we want to increase surveillance. Um, we want to police students. And that is obviously not the answer. I, I agree with you, Alec, there. You, you brought this up. Um, and then there, you know, there are also folks who are so excited about these tools and they even question, do we really need academic essays anymore? How else can we assess student knowledge? And I want to bring up here the work by Sarah Elaine Eaton, an academic integrity scholar. And she recently posted um, an infographic on her blog where she brings up something called hybrid writing. And that is just so fascinating to me. Um, and she defines it as, you know, this 
blend of writing where it's impossible to distinguish where the human input and the AI input end, and like it's it's all merged together. Um, another point that she makes is that historical definitions of plagiarism no longer apply. That is that is also really interesting to reflect on here, or perhaps you know with our colleagues. Um, but I do think that this tool has a potential to redefine what we mean by writing. And if there are some of those like sticky points, stumbling blocks in the writing, can we automate them and can we delegate them to the tool? We already do it with Grammarly, right? Um, so Lindy, I think about uh, your essay, Jack, and how much I loved using it with students. And so for folks who don't know, uh, the tool used interrogative methodology, if I remember that correctly. And so there were questions, um, let's say for introduction, for paragraphs, you know, they'd be like, what, what would your audience be interested to know about this topic? And students loved it because it took away the fear of the blank page, just staring at you. And so now we have a whole, um, you know, whole suite of tools available at our disposals that can talk to us. And that is just so incredible. So in the age of AI, I think we maybe can call it the age of AI, um, Tatiana, you were talking about writing and types of writing. What types of writing will students still need to master to be successful in life? That's a very cool question, Donna. I'm glad you're asking it. I think I have to go back to redefining what writing is and what it will be. And I feel like that definition is just emerging now and we are constructing it. Um, but we know that writing is thinking. And so um, the type of writing, uh, we're getting that specific here that comes to mind would perhaps be reflective writing. So when you're using writing um, kind of an, as an exploration tool and you're articulating your thoughts, perhaps about your learning process, perhaps about an experiential learning opportunity. And then new insights emerge as you're crafting that response. So this is one thing that comes to mind. I think part of the, the question is like, when do we... Uh introduce this type of writing and at what point do we bring in the AI and I'm thinking of K-12 education more specifically. Um, I do worry like one of my big fears around this is we'll see a huge you know, literacy gap um, from you know in the next two to eight years as we see post-secondary change quite a bit I and mean, we already have that from COVID certainly. Um, we have you know certainly uh, some academic gaps um, due to you know, the changes in you know or the, the move to remote learning and you know um, obviously a lot of disruption in the school system, but, you know, if we introduce AI much too early in development of children's uh, thinking, because that's a really good point on the idea of, you know, writing is thinking, if we do that much too early, we're going to do damage. We're going to get to a point where kids can't write argumentative essays or reflective essays, uh, and that we become too dependent on the technology. So I think um, we have to really think early, early literacy. We have to think middle years, um, uh, in particular high school writing. We have to really think about the scope and sequence of how we want to teach writing in those uh, in those years. And I think that has to happen quite immediately. Um, um, obviously, you know, and I think we have to be careful not to think that every kid is going to use ChatGPT to cheat. Like for the most part, not every kid is using Chegg.com or 
um, or you know, getting their friends to write it. There's that certainly happened, but the majority of kids want to learn. The majority of kids uh, will, will follow their teacher's guidance, but there is um, certainly you know this huge you know if, if we think about the Olympic sports, right? If you're if you're writing against a robot, <laughs> or if you're writing against you've got augmented writing um, with a robot, kids are going to be feel like they have to write with their peers because this person who you know is using AI is uh, is out writing you eventually. Like when GPT five is released for for certain, um, we're going to see that competitiveness and there's competitiveness in K to twelve system. So at some point, there are going to be more and more people that will much more largely depend on on uh, AI to to write, and that'll just be sort of the nature of the market of school, I guess, or the competitiveness of school. And I think we have to be very thoughtful about how this happens. Not every kid is going to be persuaded to do this. Uh, I think the vast majority are going to be um, ones that do listen to the direction of their teachers. But there's just certainly that influence that that will certainly change the face of what school looks like and how uh, writing looks like in, in schools. So we, uh, you know, PD around uh, writing, curriculum reform, um, this all has to happen quite quickly. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I, I think, too, um, this idea of uh, professional development, you know, in the K to 12 space and then faculty supports uh, in higher ed. Um, around sort of scaffolding and process, because again, to go back, that's that's ultimately what we are wanting um, academic writing to achieve is the tangible output of a process of learning how to think critically about the world in which we find ourselves, um, and to have the tools to do that. Um, and ChatGPT is a tool that we can think critically about, that we can learn to use critically, that we can engage with in this whole process of learning how to think critically about the materials we are studying, about the world in which we live, about the way in which we engage in discourse with one another, even the value judgments that we make about people based on the quality of their writing. So one of the things that we haven't yet talked about, which is a positive outcome of ChatGPT, is it also reduces some of the um, inequity faced by English language learners. So English language learners are trying to function in a second language or third or fourth language in, in English. And with academic writing, there are all of these conventions that if you've been educated within an Anglo-American context, you are familiar with. And if you haven't, even though, say, um, your practical and functional capacity linguistically in English is perfectly fine. You may not know those particular conventions. And ChatGPT and other text generative AI can help you to leap up and so that you are perceived to be functioning at the same level as somebody else who say is a, a you know, native born English speaker or learner. Um, and, and that I think is, a, is all for the good, particularly now that I'm outside of the formal academy and in a corporate space, um, you see how for workers, if you are unable to communicate quickly at the level expected of you, you will hit the ceiling at work. You know, as, as we're all saying, ChatGPT allows me to send these beautiful, wonderful emails. And that's part of what being a professional is. There is a lot of writing that happens in a professional space. And so being able to do that with tools that can help you um, can also make a significant difference when we're talking about uh, people for whom the conventions or the linguistic facility 
aren't automatically there. That can make a really big difference, which is very helpful. But again, to go back to the first point, that's if as educators, um, we are able to scaffold that process along the way so that while people are developing all of these skills with writing, whether it's you know hybrid writing, whether it's process writing, communicative writing, academic writing, they're engaging with chat GPT and its next iterations in a way that helps them be better thinkers as opposed to somehow leapfrogs over the thinking and just gets a piece of text out into the world. That's a really great point, Lindy. And so how can uh, educators evolve to accommodate this new type of learning and address the gaps that yourself and Alec and Tatiana have uh, mentioned? You know, that's it's such a good question. And I'm going to sort of fudge my answer a bit because to a certain extent, I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite worried about this, this, this responsibility on educators to evolve and accommodate this new type of learning. And we've all kind of touched on this, which is what are the institutional supports in place to help support instructors? And, and Alec mentioned this too, from the learning loss perspective on the back of COVID. But also we had this global pandemic where we, we asked educators overnight to somehow learn how to be online educators and distance learning. Many campuses are still doing various versions of hybrid learning. A lot of things, um, again, from an equity perspective, will be here to stay. So the pandemic forced certain pedagogical changes that now we can see um, actually support learners who need various kinds of accommodations much better. So some of the changes that came because of a technical changes, technological changes that came as a result of a pandemic are here to stay. And now there are more changes as a result of this new technological sea change. And I fear that we haven't really given educators a moment to stop and catch their breath. You know, we just sort of March 2020, suddenly everybody turned into a distance online instructor uh, with little to no training um, and then kind of held on by the skin of their teeth. Um, and, and I will say, um, again, now that I'm sort of sitting on the outside looking at it, it it's been a Herculean effort. It's been, I've been amazed, um, a proud, astonished by what institutions and educators have been able to do. And now we're asking them to once again do something of a similar magnitude. And so I do think that one thing we need to think about is um, what supports are we unlocking um, nationally in order to build up capacity um, and resources and time to then face this next challenge to evolve and accommodate uh, what's happening really, again, from a K to 12 and then a higher ed perspective. So as I say, it's a bit of a fudge of the answer um, to say change must come, but I, I do wanna sort of flag the fact that we, we do need to support educators in helping them figure out how to make these, these best changes. Can I jump on a couple of these points, though? Um, I want to go back when you talked about accessibility and equity. I think that that's one of the biggest and most important points and takeaways from this in my mind. Um, you know, we have to think about that in particular and we, um, when we're thinking about banning or blocking the tool. Um, you know, certainly a number of uh, Australian states have done this. Uh, Italy, I think, announced it the other day. Um, you know, there's that whole general uh, AI 
Um, industry wants to hold back six months, but of course they're worried that other countries won't. Uh, you know, there won't be an agreement. But in general, I th- you know, this is going to stay. It's going to be embedded in all of your Microsoft products. It's going to be embedded into uh, the Google products. It's been announced. Like it's in everything. It's Duolingo, Khan Academy, like everything you can possibly imagine. It's easy to create APIs and uh, to create plugins. So the technical ability for anyone to embed it in their context is, is there already. So I think that anyone's held back by this in any way that uh, that that there will be increasing inequities rather than that potential to um, to decrease those inequities that we have. And and I think Wendy's point in terms of non-English speakers, for instance, was a you know a great point. Um, when we're thinking about you know, and to build on Lindy's points as well, like the national response, the, the provincial responses, we really have to do this. We at the U of R, I was really very happy to see during COVID, like the institution stepped up uh, to provide as much professional learning as, as possible. And I think you saw that at many other institutions where people bent over backwards to provide support for instructors and to really support them in any way possible. But, you know, this is also, you know, since then, the economy has become worse, inflation's, you know, inflation's at the highest ever, costs are through the roof. And, you know, universities are struggling more and more than ever post-pandemic or, well, we'll say mid-pandemic continued perhaps. Well, we won't get too controversial here, but um, but at this point, like, we need to see um, supplements, um, government direct supplements in terms of professional learning. We need to program what we're talking at the national provincial level for all institutions because institutions aren't going to be doing it themselves. We, see, we need to see better collaboration uh, at the inter-university to, uh, level as well. More CTLs um, talking about developing contents, context for this. We need literacy, literacy uh, expertise on a lot of this. When we think about writing, we need really at every discipline has to rethink about this engineering, computer science, um, you know, all the sciences, art, um, all of this, this affects every discipline at the university. So we need supports in every imaginable way and again we can't put this on the back of educators just to figure this out we need support we need people who are experts at this and developing uh curriculum developing content developing pd understanding literacy um understanding development of of children's you know cognitive abilities um this is also important and we just can't do it ourselves tatiana did you want to add to that i have a story to share um so I ran an educational technology community of practice for faculty. And the last meeting we spent maybe two hours playing around with ChatGPT and asking it to create lesson plans that were aligned with trauma-informed and UDL pedagogies. And then we asked it to create rubrics. And obviously you you tweak it, you use it as, a, as an initial point. But I could tell that it was, you know, their minds were blown away. You know, that just just seeing how powerful that tool can be and how you can leverage it to enhance your teaching practice was quite an opening, eye-opening for some. So I think in addition to having that coherent, higher leadership response on national and provincial levels, we also have to support our grassroots movement here. And we have to shine the light on those champions who are bravely blazing the trail and support them because they will uplift the others as well. Thank you, Tatiana. Very good point. Um, Before we close, I'm curious, are there any AI writing projects any of you are working on that you would like to share? Uh, Other 
additional stories. I mean, one one thing that I can jump in on the corporate side. So uh, Wise Prep um, provides, as we, we talked about in the intro, um, a supplementary educational resource for higher ed students across North America. And one of the things that's always very difficult in our supplementary educational resources, which is a software platform, is how do you help students with writing? And so now that we've got all of this text generative AI that students are, are using or thinking about using or they've heard about, it actually makes um, building out online resources to help navigate some of these more um, complex questions a little bit um, more straightforward for us in a scalable way because there's a set of questions around text generative AI and academic writing which are uniform across all campuses. Everybody's dealing with these same questions, whereas previously, you know, everybody's approach to Hamlet might be different. And so it's very hard for, say, a company to provide standardized resources across the board. Um, so that's something that that at Wise Prep we're working on right now, which is which is very exciting um, because again, you sort of have this opportunity to um, delve into what is really um, game changing in both academic writing, but also approaches to pedagogy. And so, as I said before, I'm, I'm very grateful to be kind of living in this moment in time and having the opportunity to, to play a part uh, in what's happening from a technical perspective, from a teaching perspective, from a learning perspective. And again, in my heart of hearts, I'm, I'm an academic writer and academic thinker. And so this is definitely getting uh, hitting on all of those notes for me. That's wonderful. I can hear your excitement. And Alec, what about for you? Well, right now, um, obviously writing curriculum around this, trying to build more professional development to um, to support my faculty and, and well, actually the university in general and, and, of course, other institutions as well. But we are running a, um, 10 years ago, I did a, a MOOC. It was the ET MOOC, Educational Technology MOOC, that uh, was able to gather 12,000 people to, you know, around the world to learn. Uh, most of that was around social media um, and social media and, and teaching and learning. This one, it's around AI. So we're starting that next week. Um, we've got a ton of registrations already. Um, it's free. So I'm not sure when this comes out, but I will post the, the link in the chat if anyone's interested. Um, but it's an AI MOOC. Nothing real um, elaborate, but a, a number of Zoom sessions and trying to develop a um, a community of practice around AI to learn together because we're all trying to figure this out. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, I'm sure that uh, there will definitely be interest in that. So our next priority is figuring out supporting students and faculty with academic integrity. Uh, when it comes to using artificial intelligence in their classrooms. And so we're currently in the needs assessment stage, um, beginning to draft those outcomes. Very exciting, also a little bit overwhelming because that line just keeps getting blurrier and blurrier. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for joining us today. Um, this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, I can hear the passion in all of your voices and also the, the element of the pioneer and the trailblazing. Um, before we sign off, do you have any final comments that you'd like to make? No, just, just thank you so much for facilitating this conversation and sort of for getting us, getting us here to bounce ideas off one another. Because as I say, this is an exciting time. And, it, you know, as you're, you're getting from all of us, we're definitely not falling down on the side of the camp that is like, hey, ban chat GPT, you know, 
let's close the borders and and prevent anybody from using this. We're, we're definitely all of the camp, which is, okay, how do we use this ethically, intelligently? How do we get the best out of it for our students, for our colleagues, for ourselves? And, and so thank you for, for bringing that to the fore in this conversation. I concur with that. I was going to get chat GPT to write, you know, some final thoughts, but I, I think I'll stop there. Um, I just I want to be, I'm very, quite thankful for the opportunity. It's always just great to hear what others are doing, what others are thinking about this, because it's such a, an expanding space with, but we need a lot of co-thinking to really get this right. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for facilitating this. Just, this just makes me think about the importance of interdisciplinary collaboration, because as Alex said, it's going to impact absolutely every everything, every single discipline. And so we need to sh hold the space to share those insights and to co-create knowledge that will move us forward here. So thank you. You're welcome. Wonderful conversation. I think that um, the listeners are, are going to... Uh, be very excited about what we've discussed today. This episode featured Donna McLaughlin as host and Dr. Lindy Ledahowski, Dr. Alec Koros, and Tatiana Kloster as guests. Jordana Gagnon was our producer. Ryan Robinson was our sound technician and editor. Thank you also to Janice Michelle, Daryl Benebeck, and Kelsey Jansen for their ongoing support and expertise. Our podcast is funded by Lethbridge College's Center for Teaching, Learning and Innovation and recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. For more episodes, head to our website, learninginnovation.ca. Thanks for listening and take care.